So that's the way out for getting rid of the actions. The karma, the karma vega, the past momentum of the actions. Throughout the process of evolution, I had the idea that actions are going to give me fulfillment. And with that, the entire process of evolution was going on. That to have that again, this idea again and again, that why the action started at the very beginning. Just take a small microbe, what it does. When it sees some nutrition, food, it goes, it is drawn towards it. And this karma is going towards it. When it finds some, there is something poison, it will be going away from it. So attraction, aversion. This results in all of our action. And attraction, aversion from where it comes? In Vedanta, they say that the non-dual consciousness, the moment it gets reflected in a reservoir called the psychophysical existence, that we each and every one are small forms, like small forms, where the sun is getting reflected. And seeing the reflection in the water, I start thinking, this is me. I am the reflection. As you remember the story of Narcissus, the Greek legendary character, Narcissus, that we use the word narcissistic for one who is extremely self-possessed, always thinking of himself, never thinks of others, too much busy with himself. We say he's a narcissistic person. So from where that word narcissistic came? From the Greek character, Narcissus. So he was so that this narcissus was a prince, royal prince, but he was extremely obsessive of his own beauty. He was extremely handsome and he was extremely obsessed by his own beauty. So he forgot all his responsibilities, what he used to do. He will every day go behind the palace. There was a bush, there was a forest and inside the forest, there was a reservoir, a huge reservoir. So he will go and the reserve was very clean and transparent. He will go and just sit by the side of that reservoir and go on seeing his own reflection. He was so much uh, obsessive, possessed by his own beauty. And one day he was so much positive about his own reflection, so his own beauty, he started thinking that reflection to be real. He fell in love with his own image. He thought him, that's to be him only, and wanted to embrace him. So he just jumped on the water and he drowned and died. So this is the character called Narcissus. From that, the word narcissistic came. So what it speaks of? It speaks of getting obsessed by his own reflection. So in spiritual sense, we are all narcissistic. In spiritual sense, we all are narcissistic. The non-dual consciousness, the only reality, ekam, eva, advitiyam, when it gets reflected in so many receptacles, it appears as many. The one appears as many. The same sun, when it gets reflected in pots of water, there are 10 pots of water, the one sun in each pot of water is getting reflected and it appears now as 10 reflections. And all the 10 reflections starts thinking that I am this. So that's the question. That's how the individuality develops. That's how the multitude to individuality develops. From one, the many has as if come. The each and every psychophysical existence by itself has no individuality. Just say that the example of the computer, the bias voltage with which so many computers have been plugged in, and we are doing various works with each of these computers. Each computer as if has an individuality. You remove the plug, all are gone together. So all similarly, the conscious, the non-dual conscious principle is one. It appears through all these as if we are like the CPUs through which it is appearing as per our karma, as per our tendencies. The mind is one, the non-local mind. We are downloading whatever constitutes my character. Just that example which we give, that in internet I can download anything, but what I download of what I, my interest is, 
if I am a student of the medical science, then I will be just downloading the things which are related to my studies. If I am an engineering student, I will be downloading things related to my studies. Or even if I like computer games, particular type of computer game, I will be downloading that particular type of game. There are so many things available. So what you are downloading, that's the constitutional personality. So from the cosmic mind, that's again one. We are downloading the things as per our latent impression, and that constitutes our personality. Why is that? Why is these examples we are giving to say that behind that, there are so many personalities we are seeing, but behind that, the bias voltage, which activates the computer, is the same. You remove that, you plug off everything. There are so many varieties; everything falls off. So that's Sri Ramakrishna used to say that after one you add a zero, it becomes 10. Another zero, it becomes 100. Another thousand. You go on the value goes on increasing 10,000, 100,000, million. It goes on increasing. Remove the one, everything is zero. So all these additions, everything is higher, lower, all this hierarchy in this society, in this universe, whatever we see. Somewhere, somewhere we see the greater manifestation of power, somewhere it is lesser, but it is after all the manifestation of the same power. In essence, he is the only one who is existing, but when he finds expression as a phenomenon, there is a variety. So in essence, he is the one. Why we started this discussion? That to explain that idea, that one, when he gets reflected in these various receptacles, he starts thinking, I am this. But something behind him is echoing that you are eternal. Just the way when I stand in front of the mountain and I shout my own name, I find that the, my name is being as if called by the mountains. The mountain is as if calling my names. But actually, what is it? It is I who am calling my own name, but giving me a feeling the mountain is calling my name. Similarly, someone is saying you are eternal. My own self is saying you are eternal. And the echo comes from the body-mind complex, you are eternal. And I get deluded. I think the body-mind is eternal. And that's how the ignorance from Agyana, the Asmita, the ego comes into existence, that I am this limited individuality. Someone is saying you're eternal, but I see I'm not eternal. As body-mind complex, I have uh, various factors which can cause my annihilation, my death. There are certain factors which can sustain me. Now I think these are the things which is going to sustain me. I, I am eternal. I want to realize that eternity, which is being echoed from the core of my being. I want to realize that. But as I am deluded, I'm see, thinking the ref, this reflection to be real. I take the limited to be the unlimited. In Vedanta, we never deny evolution. We don't believe in the design theory that God created everything as it is. We believe in evolution, we evolve. Very nicely, the Vedanta fits in with this theory of evolution. How? Just a micro. Something behind it is saying you're eternal, but it realizes it is not eternal. A little change in the circumstances kills it. A little more temperature kills it. Little. So what it is trying to do now? Because of the ignorance, it is actually eternal. But he is imposing that eternity in that small micro body because of delusion. And now his constant endeavor is to realize the ego in this body. From that, the evolution starts. What it does, it, the various unicellular organisms will conglomerate. They will have division of labor so that they can fight with the nature in a better way. They equip themselves. At last, in the human being defined or in any other advanced mammals, what we find? There are so many cells have conglomerated with so many division of labor. Someone is taking care of respiration, someone of digestion, assimilation, circulation, excretion, all these functions which once a single cell used to perform as a microbe is now performed in a specialized way with a group activity. Why it all happened? Because of that endeavor. The same endeavor. What? That someone is saying you're eternal. I never, no one wants to die. 
Someone behind us is constantly eternal. And that eternity, mistakenly, we are trying to realize through this body-mind complex. It's only as a human being we can realize that it is all as operated because of the ignorance. I'm already eternal. I'm seeing that eternity in the reflection and trying to realize the eternity in that reflection, which can never be the flow. It can never be eternal. So what I have to do, I just have to renounce my identity with the flow and to establish in the fact, oh, because after ignorance, I was thinking that I was always eternal. I am, no one can annihilate me. I was, I am, I is. So that's the entire spiritual journey to know that I am not the reflection and know, to know the fact that nothing can annihilate me, nothing can kill me, nothing can influence me. I am the, I am just as I am, I am the eternal present. So this journey to detach yourself from the flow is the entire, the nutshell of the spirituality. Now here comes the karma, there's various yogas. When Bhagavan is speaking of karma yoga, he says what? But when I start realizing that I cannot realize the eternity through this psychophysical existence, but in the process what has happened? From the very first day when the life has started, action started because of that ignorance, that to survive, I have to procure something which sustains me, food. I have to be away from something which is toxic. So behind all our actions, there are three things which is acting. That is called Raga, Dvesha, Abhinivesha. Raga means attachment, Dvesha. Aversion, Abhinivesha, extreme attachment for life, which makes us afraid of death. So in English, they call it, this attachment can be called as obsession, and Raga, and Dvesha and Abhinivesha can be termed as fight and flight response. At last, you will find these are the three things, obsessions or fight and flight response, which can define all our actions. But from where this attachment and fight or flight response came? From asmita, from that ego that I am this limited being. And from where that asmita came? From agyana, from avidya. So that's why in yoga shastra, they speak of five afflictions. What are the five afflictions, the sufferings, the cause of suffering of our, in our life? Avidya, asmita, raga, dvesha, abhinivesha. And behind all our actions, you will find these five are the cause. Because of ignorance, asmita developed. From asmita, raga, dvesha, abhinivesha developed. Obsession, fight and flight response developed. And that impelled me to action. And I am doing this action for lives together. And it has now, as per the neuroplasticity is concerned, it has become my nature. Even without knowing, I am bound to do these actions. So that speaks of my nature. Now, how to get rid of the nature? Just the way a drug addict knows very well the drug is harming him. But he cannot leave, even in spite of the fact he knows. Why? Because it has become his habit. It has become his nature. He has got totally intoxicated. So we also have got intoxicated by karma. That's our addiction. We cannot leave it immediately. So what's the way out? The all the actions were impelled by Raga, Dvesha, Abhinivesha, which speaks of our desires, either obsession or fight and flight response. Try to get rid of that and continue with the actions, with the ideas, seek not, avoid not. That as per my past action, I have been placed in a particular situation in life. The karmas act in two ways. It creates sanskara and it gravitates us to a circumstances where my tendencies will be put. Just the example we give, as a child, you develop. At the very beginning, most probably you are very restless. But somehow the parents, the teachers all impelled you to study. It was by force. I didn't like, but all were asking me, study, study, study. And in short time, first I have to use my willpower to study, as all are asking me. I don't like, I have to study. But any good student, you, will, you, 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 you can just 
be sure of the fact they have developed a liking for the style. When at the beginning you're using your willpower, but after some time, the thing which you do again and again, that becomes your nature. That uh, in the modern neurological subjects, as uh, uh, terminology they call it, your because of neuroplasticity, it becomes your nature. A path has been created in your mind. Now, what you were doing with the will, now you start liking it. You start just you get obsessed by it. So, for when in our studies, also the same thing happened. That when we were asked by our parents to study again and again, the teacher asked, and we developed that habit, and then we started liking it. Now, no one has to say. It is you study, you have good grades. So your sanskar has been created. Your sanskar is getting giving you good grades. That is the individual aspect of the karma. That's one thing. I know I, I study, I get the good grades. So I am totally responsible for my grades, no one else. But there's another aspect of karma over which I actually don't have hand. It is a collective aspect. What? That with my good grades, when I'm in class 12 standard and higher secondary, my grades makes me eligible to get admitted in some professional course. Maybe it's medical or engineering or some other subjects like psychology or whatever it may be. I get admitted. Now, when I get admitted at a huge university with all the infrastructure, with all its professors, teachers, that's not the result of my karma. The entire society has contributed for that. So it is a collective effort of the society. What has happened? My grades have gravitated me here, isn't it? it? Has allowed me. I am now enjoying the fruit of the collective endeavor of the entire society. So similarly, the karma works. With the karma in one side, I develop individually good sanskaras. And what's the collective aspect? The good sanskar has now gravitated me to an environment where those samskaras will find a fertile ground to flourish. That in the last life, most probably, I somehow got interested in music. In the next birth, I am born in a family of musicians, where I get the scope to culture my Latin uh, samskaras, all the Latin tendencies I know, I get a fertile field for that. So these are the two ways the karma acts. So that's why in Bhagavad Gita, we will find the idea of Swadharma will come again and again. It's not just to say that you, as you are born in such and such caste, you're forced to do that work. No. That way, if you interpret, it becomes a wrong interpretation. That when I am born in a particular family, as per my spiritual journey is concerned, it implies that I, in the past, was involved in certain actions and develop certain sanskaras, which has gravitated me in this family, in this type of circumstances. So now, as per my swadharma, what I do, that speaks of my natural inclination, that I will have a spontaneity in those type of actions. I won't have to struggle because I've already developed that tendency. So now, what's the way out? Now, there's in spiritual sense, I'm not going to continue with those actions. I have to get rid of it. So what's the way out? As per my tendencies, I have been born here. I got this all these <coughs> samskaras. So I seek not, avoid not. I take care of the responsibilities. But I have developed that awareness that these responsibilities which are impelled by raga, dvesha, abhinivesha is because of ignorance. That I thought this limited being is the be-all and end-all of existence. Something is behind that. The spiritual dimension is behind that, which is never tarnished. It is as it is. It is because of our wrong identification that we are going from life after life through this journey of various karmas, which is impelling me to take birth in a particular situation. And again, I find myself with particular roles and responsibilities. So here Bhagavan is saying, don't avoid that because past force is there. You cannot avoid it. Let it be there, switch off. Just the way we switch off, the fan gradually stops. Remove the desires from it. Do it with the sense that the plan of the universe is such that God has created me in such a way that he uses me for sustaining his world as per the 
vega of my karma as per the impulse momentum of my karma that in this life i have been born and now most probably the most of us what happens they will get married they will have children <clears throat> the example which we give again and again that the, when they have the children the love which emanates from their heart god as per my karma has kept me there and that that love for the kith and kin is something which is as if the plan of the entire creation it is there in my heart programmed i take care of them of all my responsibilities through this altruism compassion but at the same time we were always aware that nothing i want in return god is working through me as per the plan of creation and there's in vedanta is three uh, vachakas are very important om rim rita om om speaks of the absolute reality which is in the potential form just say a magnetic bar a, a iron bar not a magnetic bar an iron bar has the potentiality to become a magnet but as long as it is not a magnet it is just an iron bar what's the magnetic field zero very interesting it is in the vedic society the zero the concept of zero was invented why you know because we thought of we contemplated on brahman the brahman is something which is a balanced state where nothing is manifested but that doesn't mean absence of anything everything is in a balanced state just the way magnetic field is zero in an iron bar but if i can align all the dipoles which constitutes that iron bar in such a way that all the north poles are in one direction and all the south poles are in one direction the iron bar gets converted into a magnet as long as all the dipoles are or dispersed one dipole negating the other the result is zero so zero is not absence it is balance the one when one thing negates the other that's results in zero but when they get aligned in such a way that where we i found there is no expression of shakti of any energy of any type of force immediately i find there is a force if i put some magnetic filings if some iron filings they are being attracted so from brahma came shakti from the balanced state came the shakti the expression of energy but very interesting that energy is not chaotic just like an explosion it's a chaotic energy it destroys this energy follows certain laws everything is in a controlled way and that's what made the creation possible just even if you put the iron filings it's are drawn towards the magnet but you will find they form particular patterns which speaks of laws so that the shakti finds expression as laws that is called rhythm om rim rhythm so this rhythm speaks of the laws so similarly as we find the physical laws there are some laws even for the living beings what is that yagya love cooperation everywhere you will find the yagya doesn't mean just doing homework in yagya what is the idea that i offer oblations in the fire the fire takes up that oblations to the deity to which it has been offered fire is the mouth of the gods when i offer oblation it is taken away taken so that's the uh, physical meaning of yagya but what's the real meaning that why i am offering that if there is no rain i offer something to indra devata the fire takes the oblations to indra he is pleased with me in return he gives me rain what's the idea idea of interdependence that's the main idea of yagya in this world nothing can exist just by itself everything is interdependent when i see what you say a that's a that's a tree if i know the law of interdependence i can see the entire universe even not you don't need a tree you just a lump of in a lump of soil you can see the entire universe how it has happened that the soil by itself cannot exist there should be some organic matter a plant which has died and decomposed and it has in the process has become soil so what has happened when the tree was there 
Where tree, when tree is there, sun must be there. Without sun, I cannot think of tree. Without the minerals in the earth surface, I cannot think of tree. But very interesting, not a single of those minerals has been created in this earth. It is the earth itself is a star dust, the furnace of the stars. The star, the star, these stars are like huge furnace inside which all these minerals have been created. And we are this. So if I can really have the eye to see within that tree, I can see the, all the stars or the planets, the sun, everything I can see. Because nothing exists by itself. Our body is a flow. What you eat, that becomes your body. Your thoughts are influenced by others. Everything is a flow. It's our personality is a flow. We are, we are mistaken when we think that I am a discrete being. Everything is flowing. That speaks of the real yajna. And behind that yajna, as a living being, that idea of interdependence unknowing is within us. Without the nurture of uh, parents, without the care of each other uh, being in the form of cooperation, no being can sustain. But it is not competition. It is actually synergy. In the modern language, they say that the, the they have actually modified the Darwin's theory by saying it's not mere competition that has resulted in evolution. Actually, it is cooperation. <clears throat> you go, what you say that any uh, the, the way the redwood forest, tree forest is there, <coughs> all the roots are intertwined in such a way that enables the tree to sustain all the cyclones. It creates a foundation. Even in, uh, uh, you go to the ocean, you will sometimes find the, the shark has opened its mouth and small fish has entered it without any fear. They know very well the shark is not going to close their mouth. Why? Because for them, the small, uh, small fishes acts like the dentist, that all the things that gets clung to their teeth they will go and clean. That, that's their, the small fish's food. Because all the things which has got stuck in between the teeth, the small fish feed on that. And that's why, and in the main, in the process, the shark saves its teeth. For them, they are acting as the dentist. So they just see that they can easily, easily close his mouth and just simply swallow them. He won't do that. So there is a cooperation in all, just we're giving the small examples throughout the creation. This it is this win-win situation through cooperation that is being termed as synergy, that synchronous energy. That's how the creation has been sustained. It speaks of the plan of the universe, that the rhythm, it speaks of the rhythm, that the energy which the God itself is finding expression as energy, that energy is again finding expression as laws. I cannot simply break that. In our attempt to break laws, we will break ourselves. This, as we say again and again, that if anyone thinks that I don't believe in gravitation and jumps out of a 20-story building thinking that I will fly, as there is nothing called gravitation, is he really going to fly? He cannot break the law. He's going to fall down, crash, and die. We can never break the law. In our attempt to break the law, we will break ourselves. So similarly, if I say I won't do karma, it's just like jumping out of a building thinking that uh, there is no gravitation. The laws of karma are such that as per my uh, this uh, ignorance, as per my asmita is concerned, I've developed a tendency and God's plan of the universe is such, he has kept me in a situation as per my tendencies to take care of the creation. Because this creation is required for our knowledge, not for our pleasure. The biggest mistake we do in this life and suffer by thinking that this world is our pleasure garden. With all our education, with all our faculties, at last we are going to enjoy. That's the biggest mistake we do. It's not the place for pleasure. It's the gymnasium where we have came to make ourselves spiritually strong. It's the place for education. It's not the place for pleasure. So when we educate ourselves, that's why the nature is sustained. This nature, entire nature is the university of God, where we are learning to at last 
realize again our own splendid nature, the self, to get established in it. Somehow, we are in ignorance. Why we are in ignorance, we can never know. Just the way when you are dreaming, for you the dream is real. And when uh, at the climax point of your nightmare, you wake up, you know you are dreaming. But if I ask when the dream started, can you ever say? That when the dream started, how it started, why it started, I don't know. So similarly, why the cause of ignorance, we don't know. We are that eternal being. Somehow we are in this long dream that I am such and such. I am A, B, C, D, whatever it may be. It's in the dream we are going through it. All the sages say that the, the spiritual evolution speaks of the waking up from this dream. Life after life, this dream is going on. Our so-called dream is dream within the dream. But this life itself is a dream. We can wake up from it. And there are some processes which can accelerate the process of waking up. So of this, the Karma Yoga is one. So that's the thing which is saying that all the responsibilities which we have, seek not, avoid not. They are because of my past tendencies. I have been placed in situations to take care of the roles and responsibilities by which the creation is sustained. But I can complete my course and be away from it. The nature has to be sustained for others to go through that process of learning. But for me, it can be completed. And there are ways. What's the way? One of them is just Nishkama Karma. I cannot stop the actions immediately. Let me try to transcend the actions by not getting too, not getting involved in the results, by getting the results, expecting the results outcome out of it. So let it be performance oriented, but not result oriented. I do it perfectly. As per my all my faculties are concerned, I do it perfectly to the uh, best cap my, of my capability. God has given me all those faculties. I use them. That when Swamiji used to say, if you don't have faith in yourself, you can never have faith in God. First comes faith in yourself. Then the question of faith in God comes. Because it is all the faculties are something which has been given by God. I have to use them to save me. So those faculties has to be used. And that gradually enters in liberation if I do it without the desire. That's what we studied in the 40th book. Yogastha, Kuru Karmani, Sangam Tirtva, Dharanjaya, Siddhya Siddhyo, Samogutva, Samatvam, Yoga Uchyate. So this is the thing which we were studying in the last class. To attain this Samatva, to not be disturbed by the dualities, and I exact, get exaggerated by joys, I get depressed by the sorrows of life. So this now I am exalted, the next moment I am depressed. That's what goes on, as if I am like a small dust particle on the wave, on the surface of the wave. The wave now takes me on the top, again takes me to the bottom. And that's how like a helpless straw particle, as if I am going through this life, having no control over it. That need not be if I know that I am not the way. I am sitting by the side of the ocean on the shore watching the wave. As long as I get identified with the wave, now I am at the top, now I am in the bottom. And then if I am in the shore watching the wave, I see it doesn't stop. I know but it, I am not the wave. It is the wave which is going up, which is going top, which is going to the bottom. That it's the wave. It is my psychophysical existence. As long as it is in this world, it has to go through these ups and downs. No one can stop that. It cannot be stopped. No one can stop those experiences. I have to go through those experiences. What can be stopped is my attachment to that. I can transcend that. I need not identify with that. Most of us in the name of spirituality is trying to have only the ecstasies, not the depressions. And that's never possible in this life. That's never possible. The life, the plan of the universe is such. We have to go through this flow. Sometimes it will be keeping us in a situa situation which is desirable by this psychophysical existence. And sometimes it will be in a situation which is not desirable. I have to just disidentify myself from this psychophysical existence and know nothing can affect me 
and allow the flow to go on without trying to hold it. That's what all the religion speaks of, even Gautam Buddha. What he speaks of, there's, that there is suffering. What's the cause of suffering? Tanha, Krishna, desire. That's the only thing which has to be taken care of. The desire is always trying to hold, which I can never be, which can never be hold. It's a flow. How can you hold on to the flow? It has to continue. I have to leave my hold and just to detach and observe it. Just the way I, when in my room I'm studying, suddenly I hear the noise, the sound of the band. Most probably some procession is going down the road. I come to my balcony. I just enjoy seeing it. It comes, it is just what it is the band parties, the procession is just passing through the road in front of me. And after some time, I don't see it. The life, all the events are like the band party. I am just the observer. The more and more we can, with the observer, the more and more we can transcend the dualities of life, which comes in the form of Siddhi Asiddhi. And that results in Samatva, the evenness. So, with this, now let us proceed to the next sloka, the 49th sloka. What it is saying, here the word Kripanata will come, that we are miserly. But why we are miserly? You will try to understand. What he is saying? Durena Hyavaram Karma Buddhi Yoga Dhananjaya Buddho Sharanam Anvicha Kripana Phala Hedav So, Durena he avaram. Avaram means inferior. Far. Durena means far, far inferior. Know it for certain. The action which is uh, motivated by desires is far, far inferior compared to the actions which are performed by buddhi yoga, by the evenness of mind. So far, far inferior. Indeed, he is in the sense of to stress that don't have any doubt, know it for certain. Indeed, that he, whenever that word he comes, Durena he avaram. It, it, it is just to stress that shouldn't have any doubt, know it for certain that it is far, far inferior. Durena he avaram karma. Here, karma means actions with desires performed. Uh, being motivated by the desires. This type of actions is far, far inferior compared to the actions which is performed with the evenness of mind. Buddhi yoga, Buddho sharanam anvicha. So that's, therefore, if that's the thing, seek refuge in this evenness. Buddho sharanam. Sharanam means to take refuge. Anvicha. So take refuge in this evenness of mind. And the, the one who are drawn by the, this result-seeking action, they are miserly. Kripana. Kripana phala hetav. That miserly are those who work for results. They're miserly. So now these words are very important. Why? person who is running after the result is being called as miser. Who is a miser? Who has wealth, but he doesn't know how to use his wealth. He is happy with his wealth, but he doesn't use his wealth in any way. But sometimes we, uh, we jokingly say that the so-called richest man is the poorest person in the world. Why? Because he only has well, nothing else. But as his money is his obsession, now the other good qualities like compassion, altruism, everything gets covered up. Because he wants, he doesn't use the wealth. That wealth could have been used in so many good ways, productive ways. He never uses it. So the word Kripana comes uh, from uh, that type of situation, that when you have a lot of wealth, but you don't use it. They're just lying, lying without any serving any purpose. So here, why the word Kripana has been used? So in this life, we all want happiness. Not a single person is there 
who say that I want to misery. If a small child, they, they used to say that in a, in a house, that there are all doctorates, all PhD degree holders. So when a new child is born with the expectation that he also should be a doctorate in some, something. So they ask the child, in what do you want to be a doctorate? See, he's doctorate in physics, he's in chemistry, he's in such and such thing. So in what you want to be doctorate? A child is very clever. He says, I want to be the doctorate in happiness. After all, that's the real thing we want. Whether I'm a doctorate in physics, chemistry, psychology, whatever may be the subject, is there anyone that the common goal which for everyone is that happiness we don't want? We all want happiness, isn't it? But we don't know how to get that happiness. That our desire is to get happiness, but we are all mistaken in our path. Just say there is a mango tree and there are two walls near the mango tree. And to, I see that the tree is laden with ripe mangoes and hurriedly I, I get a, someone managed to get a ladder and I hurriedly place a ladder in one of the walls and I climb, climb up. After climbing up, when I stretch my hand, I find the mango tree is far away. I cannot reach it. And then I realize if I would have placed the ladder in the other one, I would have reached it very easily. So if for both, if I keep the ladder in this wall and climb up, or I keep the ladder in the other one and climb up, the effort is same. Effort is same. But what has actually uh, not allowed me to get the mangoes is a wrong inclination, the wrong wall which I have chosen. So if I would have chosen the correct path in this life, I would have attained that happiness which we all desire, but we have placed the ladder in the wrong wall. What's the wrong wall? The constantly we are chasing after the desires. Yeah, one action that for such and such, such is my goal and for this I'm doing this action. And the happiness eludes me. I find the mango is far away. If I would have the same effort, I would have kept the ladder in the correct wall. Let me try to be aware of the fact that I'm placed in a particular situation in life over which I have no hand. How I have been placed in this family or in this situation, you would find that your destiny just takes you and places you in a particular situation. So I have to accept that. I don't go on seeking. Seek, the word seeking always should be taken from my selfish point of view. When I'm thinking for the collective, that speaks of egolessness. That's not the exact seeking. Seeking means when I'm just desiring my own wealth, my own pleasure, my own comfort at the cost of others. So that is what seeking. So I seek not in that sense and avoid not that all the responsibilities I take care of. And I go on doing with my actions. You will find you never thought that happiness can come that way. And suddenly you find you're you're extremely happy. You don't know the source of happiness, but it is there. I will give you an example. When I was in India, I was in schools for more than 12 years, in residential school, constantly just uh, dealing with the students. And whenever we had some celebrations, being these schools were run by the Ramakrishna Mission. So whenever we have celebrations, a huge crowd used to come, like Sri Ramakrishna's birthday celebration, thousands of people will be coming. And now the consecrated food, the prasadam will be distributed to all. It's a huge affair. We need a lot of volunteers. And we did have volunteers, but we thought that we are running the school with the idea not to only give academic education, to give them some real values, which can really uh, make them feel fulfilled in their life. Now, it's not just simply by instructing them you can develop those values. You have to uh, put them in a situation where they can really uh, appreciate that why we practice altruism. So for that, what we used to do, though we had sufficient volunteers, whenever the celebrations will be there, we will make a duty list. That's the students of the higher, of course, the small boys, for them, the work is too much. Those who are in the higher grades, say in the 10th standard, 11th standard, 12th standard, those students, 
we will prepare duty list and say that that for the prasada distribution for one hour. So these are the students who has to take care of that. And invariably, every year we will find we have to go through that same routine. We will find the students grumbling. They don't want why this action should be given, why this responsibility should be given to us. We came here for studies, not for all those things, but we were quite strict. So no, this is something that you have to, you have to, being in a residential school, this is the thing you have to do. This is the duty, that one hour. And every year, the same thing. When the student starts it with all this grumbling and with complaining, I am having pain, I cannot do, we say, no, you just go and do it. After one hour, it's not that we didn't have volunteers. A lot of volunteers are willing to do it. It is for some other purpose we have given them the duty. After one hour, now when they're supposed to hand over the work to the volunteers, now the wonderful thing has happened. They're not willing. They want to continue. In one hour, they have started getting the joy. When you just are standing and serving the food to the other, you never thought that you were even grumbling. You never thought it can give you joy. And suddenly you find you an inexpressible joy and which is something emanating from you. Knowing for certain in this life, whenever there is the dissipation of the ego, immediately the bliss comes because that's the more and more you are relating to your real self. That's why the definition of God with Swami Vivekananda gave is the most rational definition, which even an atheist can believe in. That what is God? Unselfishness is God, nothing else. I have never found such a wonderful definition with this idea of God, all the fight is going on throughout the world. Religion fights with religion with the idea of God. Can any religion deny this simple definition, unselfishness is God? Can anyone say that my God is selfish? Can anyone say? The highest ideal of the God which we place is that unselfishness. He is there to love all. The God has no such preferences. His love is unconditional. That's what all the religion says, that unselfishness. How can the love become unconditional? The less you think of yourself, the more you think of others, the more the ego barriers falls off, the more love emanates. This egolessness is something which is our basic nature. As a child, when the ego barriers are yet to be formed, you will find a wonderful thing. They so easily relate to each other's emotions. The children are playing, one child falls and starts crying, you will find all others start crying. It's a very common thing. If there are siblings, for some reason, one of the siblings starts crying without any reason, the other will start crying. Because the ego barriers are so thin, very easily they relate with each other. I still remember I was in Arunachal Pradesh. And for taking this, it was a tribal, they're all the, is a tribal belt where most of them were the first generation learners. So we have to go to get the students for our schools. And a very basic test we have to have that whether they have learned the alphabets. Let them just write the alphabets. But these children will sometimes get a bit, uh, what you say, that uh, tensed because they are not comfortable with that situation in a hall or a sitting. So we will provide them pen, pencil to write uh, just the alphabets. And suddenly one of the child will start crying. And for the first time, when I went to conduct that test, I couldn't conduct. One star child, one child started crying, and we were just, uh, we never cared for it. Okay, what to do? He's crying, let him cry. And in five minutes, suddenly we saw that it, it was so much infectious. This another child kept the pen, pencil, started crying. And in no time, the entire room of the, this 30, 40 students all have kept their pencil and all have cried. We traveled 50 kilometers to take that test. We were unsuccessful. We came back. We couldn't take. All were crying. Next day, we took a lot of chocolates, Cadbury's, everything, and went there. And a lot of volunteers. The moment one child cries, immediately we'll take him to the lab, go to the next room, so that the other children cannot relate to him. And then it was possible. We could take the test. What it shows that lesser is the ego boundary, we actually relate to the other's emotions. That speaks of our real spiritual being. When the ego boundaries for this ego is like a disease. 
uh, when we say we are diseased, when we say we are diseased, when when we are in, when we enjoy health, you are not aware of any particular part of your body. The health is 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 throbbing through your entire body. The child is not aware of his body. He falls down, gets cut. It is the mother who sees that he has got cut. He is not aware. He is so full of life. Is but when we say we have started, we we get disease as we grow old. A little ache in my knees, in my heart, stomach. My eyes. What has happened? The consciousness we were supposed to pervade the entire body is now getting localized. It is localized in this heart, or in my stomach, or in my head, or in my knee. And then I get diseased. My ease has gone. That awareness which was supposed to percolate the entire body is now getting restricted to a particular part of the body, and I develop disease. That's the disease. In spiritual sense, we are all diseased. The non-dual consciousness, the non-local consciousness, got localized in this psychophysical existence, and that's the real cause of disease, bhavaroga, a disease called worldliness, and that's the results in all our unhappiness. So, in our life, even unknowingly, whenever the ego barrier falls off, like in those children who were forced to serve, and unknowingly, when they started serving, the ego barrier started falling off as they have to relate to others. Even they don't know, and inexplicable joy starts emanating from their being. It's something everywhere. I was in welfare section, relief section in Belumat for some time, and a very interesting thing I found: the people come for pecuniary help. Extremely poor people staying in the street come for pecuniary help, have nothing to eat, no clothes to wear. They come and ask, "Can you give me fifty rupees?" Fifty rupees. So we used to ask, "Why you want?" And uh, I was asked by a senior swami to keep a note that what's the reason they say. And you will be interested. These people who doesn't have food, who doesn't have food, who doesn't have clothes, will never say, "I don't have. I am hungry. I need some clothes." 99.99% case it will say my son is hungry my children are hungry my grandson is hungry i cannot provide clothes to my child they themselves are hungry but that doesn't cause them the pain the pain is because they cannot provide it to the near and dear ones you know that happiness is a general state of our being that happiness is gone when you cannot relate you cannot diffuse your ego boundaries and then the suffering comes it's something we are totally ignorant of so once you can do that by becoming more and more desireless you can immediately enjoy the placidity which is already there this tremendous source of happiness bliss tranquility evenness is within you throughout the life like a miserly person i have something but i can don't use it i don't realize it why because of the wrong orientation so now you will understand the word kripana is so important now we are all kripana we all have the tremendous potentiality to enjoy the tremendous placidity i remember a story very interesting story that a person just by uh, was passing by the way which is on the side of the ocean and seeing that the the sunset in the ocean the placid ocean the sun was was about to set that view was so endearing was so uh, sublime it made him stop for some time by the side of the ocean and then he saw in the neighbor in the, in the next car someone is as if uh, uh, waiting there for the same reason to enjoy the placidity of the ocean and then he went near he saw an interesting thing he's sitting his car is facing the ocean he's sitting there and he's holding a newspaper totally engrossed in what war crime this all games and other things totally forgetting that in front such a wonderful view placid the placid view of the ocean is there that's what we are doing that 
the, the newspaper in the form of our expectations, our uh, competition, expectation, or constant concerns that if I lose this, what will happen? This concerns are, comes, comes because of yoga kshema. Yoga means here, not the yoga in the ultimate sense. Means as I constantly in our life that we have some goal, can I meet that goal? Yoga means union. Can I get unified with my goal? That's the concern. When I get unified with my goal, again the concern is there. Can I preserve it? It may be gone. Constantly in our life, this is happening. That as per our, even our relations are concerned, our wealth is concerned, our position is concerned. First, when I don't have, I'm concerned whether I will get it. When I have it, again I'm concerned. Shall it be English be there? I will lose it. So these are the things which like the newspaper is not allowing the placidity in front of me, which I enjoy. It is already with me. Like a creepona, I am just holding something in from my front, like in the form of the newspaper, and getting willingly distracted in the things which is not allowing me to enjoy the placidity which is already there. That's why I'm a creepona. I'm having the potential, I'm having the tremendous resource of happiness, calmness, equanimity. But because of my wrong way of life, wrong orientation, I don't realize it. And that's what is spoken of as the creepana. So these actions is constantly resulting in dwanda is of course inferior action. There is a tremendous scope to go beyond that. So why it is called avara? Inferior? Because for two reasons. First is that this dwanda constantly that I am uh, fluctuating from ecstasy like a pendulum I am swinging. Now I am ecstatic, the next moment I am depressed. Why? Because we are anxious to acquire the things which we lack, the yoga, and we are anxious to preserve what we have, the shema. So this is one of the reasons which for which is inferior. And the second reason, even when we have it, the desire which I, uh, the thing which I desire, the moment I have it, the happiness which I get is very momentary. Compared to the happiness which I, I would have got, which would have been permanent if I would have being identified with the placidness of myself. It would have given me uninterrupted happiness. In the scripture, they say, when you pour oil from one vessel to the other, there is no interruption in the flow. It's, it's just a continuous flow. We all want happiness to be like that. It is only possible when you can transcend the duality of life by being totally established in yourself. That has been spoken of in the 46th sloka as the Samprutodaka, this engulfing flood. And all our small happiness is like the Udapana, like all small, shallow, uh, what you say, this uh, a ditch of water. Just a little happiness. I get it the moment I was designed for something, I was tormented, I was anxious, I may not get it, and I get it, I'm extremely happy. And the next moment it is gone. Some other desires come to take its place. And I go on in this cycle of avidya, karma, karma, on and on. Happiness is something which is constantly eluding me. It just comes as a flash. In the words of Ramakrishna, in the world, in our world, the happiness is like the falling of a drop of water on a hot cauldron. Just it immediately vanishes. It's no more there. It's that, that instantaneous. And we forget that it, 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 should, it need not be that way. We can enjoy the placidness. That's why uh, this, the terms are used that why a sannyasi who has no wealth, sannyasi is a fakir, but he is called Maharaj. In our tradition, they call the Maharaja means the king of the kings. Why? Because a king with all his wealth is extremely poor because he still wants more wealth. As long as you have the want, how can you be rich? idea of richness is that I have so much wealth I have no want. That's the idea of richness. And this poor fellow, the, the so-called sadhu, being established in himself, has no want. Whatever nature provides him is happy with that. So he's extremely rich. He has gone beyond want. With all your wealth, you may have so much of want. And that speaks of your poverty. As long as you have want, you're pure. The only sign of richness is you have gone beyond want. And that's only possible when one gets established in self, not before that. 
then all the ones are gone. He is happy with himself. He has become swastha. His stir means to be established. To be established in something is called stha in Sanskrit. To be stha is stha. Swa means in own, in your own self. When you know nothing can annihilate you and nothing can give you any fulfillment because you're already fulfilled. You're beyond all desires. You're beyond all wants. And you're establishing yourself. You become swastha. And then you go beyond all the so-called dualities of life. All the actions, these far inferior actions, which are impelled by the desires, they, have, they fall off. You enjoy the classicness. Till then, we are all kripana. That in spite of the fact that we have that inner wealth, inner richness to enjoy the uninterrupted happiness, the what you say, the ultimate fulfillment in life, we never try for it. We just, the wealth is, remains hidden. We never utilize it. And that's why we are the Kripana. How to go beyond that Kripana? For that, you have to have to have some skills. Such as Sri Ramakrishna used to say, so one day someone came and told Ramakrishna that such and such person knows some tricks. Ramakrishna told, Sa Chaturi Chaturi. The only trick is the, the, by which you can get established in your spiritual dimension of existence. Sa Chaturi Chaturi. That is the Kushalata. That's Kushalata. How to attain that Kushalata? That will be spoken of in the next sloka. So, uh, again, as today, it's almost the time we will take the 50th sloka where the word kushala will be used by God. That to how to do the action in this world in such a way that instead that action generally takes us spirally downwards gradually. The same action, by changing my orientation, I can use the same action to take me spirally upwards. That speaks of the kushalata. That speaks of the dexterity. That speaks of the skill. And that will be spoken of in the next slogan. So this kushala that Yoga karmasu kaushala, how to do yoga with the prop that with dexterity. So the, instead of binding us, it liberates us. That will be spoken in the next slogan, which we will take up again in the next class. With this, we stop our discussion today. Thank you all. Namaskar.